And a very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch and for the next couple of hours we're going to be talking to my guest on People of Note, Johan Ferreira, who is an oboist and an academic. I'm not sure which order those should go in, Johan, but welcome <laughs> to the program. Thank you, Richard. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Which order do you put them in in your life? Uh, depends on who's asking, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if it's my if it's my boss, I prefer to go with academic first. But if it's literally almost anyone else, I prefer oboist. <laughs> Have you always been an oboist? I started playing the oboe when I was in high school. Uh, it was a bit of a rough and tumble. I started off playing the violin, actually, although I don't actually um, share that with too many people. And then... You shared it with quite a lot. Uh, all of a sudden. <laughs> and... Um, I played a bit of violin and then um, one Sunday afternoon uh, we were having Sunday lunch and I heard Mozart Oboe Concerto over the radio and I was I think about 15 or 16 at the time and I thought yes like this is something that I that I really like I like the sound I like the I like the music I like I like it but I'm not quite sure what it was at that point and so I started with um, some oboe lessons uh, with a local clarinet teacher, actually, because I come from a tiny town in the northwest province. Called? Klerksdorp. And um, then after that, a couple of months after that, I actually saw uh, who would have then become my teacher, Gary Roberts, uh, playing at the Northwest University, a concert where he played uh, oboe trio and oboe sonata and so on. And after the concert, me with like these like stars in my eyes walked up to him saying like, I'm a young oboe player. I would just love to have lessons with you. So then I started having lessons with Gary and um, drove to Joburg every uh, two weeks almost. And I saw him on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., which is a terrible time to teach oboe. <laughs> and, um, and then eventually I uh, went on to study in Pretoria and I, I kept on seeing Gary for a bit. And now I'm where I am, I guess. Well, because it's very interesting that there are not a lot of oboe players around. So if you learn the oboe, you're going to be in demand, that's for sure. But it wasn't that that attracted you to it. It was the sound. Yes, I, I, like, I, I knew about the fact that oboists aren't, uh, you know, a dime a dozen. In our youth, in all the youth orchestras I almost played in my whole life, there was also always the scarcity like unicorn blood it's just you can't find it and if you do it's it's apparently very valuable and um but it wasn't my that wasn't the prime reason for me picking up the oboe you just like the sound i like the sound um even though it takes a, a good few years to get a sound that is likable yeah, but is that that's strange it's tough to play the oboe let's listen to some oboe this is now an arrangement of bach's music which was originally written for flute but here it's written for oboe and harp the performers are James Austin Smith and Bridget Kibbe. James Austin Smith is a, an American oboist whom I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting and working with. Uh, and that was him playing. That was him playing, actually. Yes, yes. Uh, he's the oboist on that on his uh, CD released by Two Pianist Record, which is a South African label. I met him at the Stellenbosch Chamber Music Festival a couple of years ago, and we have a very good working relationship. I, I speak to him quite often, and uh, he studied in Germany and in the States, and he's been, a, to, for lack of a stronger word, a bit of a mentor to me in my life before. So that recording that we just heard was made in Stellenbosch? It was made in Stellenbosch, yeah. yes. And Bridget is one of his friends who's a very, very uh, famous and very 
good harp player. Very good yeah. harp player, yeah. yes, and they recorded that in Stellenbosch. You see, that's another instrument that's uh, not all that common, I suppose, because of the cost of buying it also. And I think the cost of buying oboes is quite steep. The cost of buying oboes is quite steep. I was in the unfortunate position two years ago uh, of having my English horn stolen. And uh, it was quite a, a rigmarole to try and find a replacement, first of all. But uh, most importantly, getting over the severe loss <laughs> that yeah. you experienced losing You've lost an a friend. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. The other thing, and this is really for our listeners, the other thing that plagues oboe players is their reeds. <laughs> and this could be the subject of a whole talk on its own. Yes. But just talk to us about oboe reeds because they seem to... Uh, be the bane of your life. They are absolutely the bane of my existence. Uh, the oboe reed is a, a tiny mouthpiece that slots into the oboe. Without the reed, you can blow into the oboe. It will make no sound whatsoever. Uh, so the reed is basically two pieces of, of very finely crafted and scraped cane that when you put it into your mouth, it vibrates against each other and that produces the squeaking sound by itself and then but going through the bore of the oboe creates the sound that we know as the oboes. The sound that we know and love. <laughs> the sound that I know and, you, uh, well, we know and, and I learn to love. <laughs> but one of the issues about the reeds is that they seem to depend on the weather and the humidity and the conditions in the concert hall and how you're feeling on that day and all sorts of things. So whenever you go, listeners, if you go to an orchestra concert, just look at the oboe players before they start playing because very often they're fiddling with their reeds and perhaps shaving them a little bit to make <laughs> them better uh, because they seem to do that a lot of the time. It's quite a temperamental component. It's probably the most temperamental part of, of being an oboist. Reeds, because they are the tip of the reed is almost thinner than a piece of paper to create maximum amount of vibrance and um, vibrating uh, to allow the instrument to speak very easily so sometimes depending on altitude uh, it changes a lot uh, the humidity how air conditioned the hall is it's uh, it's it's a dire yeah. situation all the time well we're going to listen to someone now who's probably got his reeds under control <laughs> this is nicholas daniel and he's playing the first movement of mozart's oboe concerto with the britain symphonia under nick Cleabury. That was the first movement of the Oboe Concerto in C Major by Mozart, played by Nicholas Daniel with the Britain Symphonia under Nick Clearbury. Was that the piece that got you going? It was indeed that, that exact piece that got me going. Unfortunately, I can't exactly remember who the oboist was that I heard, but if I have to venture a guess, I think it was actually Martin Gabriel with the Vienna Philharmonic that made a very good Naxos recording a couple of years ago that I heard that day on the radio. Well, it must have been quite a few years ago because you were not 15 a couple of days ago, a couple <laughs> of years ago. <laughs> well, that's about 13 years ago, so it's, it's, at least it's not a lot of decades. But obviously at some stage you made uh, a decision not to be a full-time musician because you although you would like to do this full-time, you don't. To a large extent, I, I do actually play as full-time as possible, okay. although I do follow a, what argu what's arguably a freelancing career. I play on a regular basis in Pretoria, in and around Pretoria, in a, a quintet called Airflare. Uh, we're performing um, uh, at a couple of ventures and festivals around the country. I also perform with the uh, Gauteng Philharmonic in Pretoria. Uh, incidentally, a couple of days ago, 
I performed the Bach uh, double concerto for violin and oboe in Pretoria with Santa Hofmeier, which was an absolutely astounding uh, experience for me, especially working with with someone uh, of someone uh, of a caliber of someone like Santa. And um, and then I uh, I regularly perform with the Guazulu Natal Philharmonic as an extra and with the Johannesburg Philharmonic also as an extra. Okay, so you keep quite busy one way and another. I do keep quite busy, fortunately. Uh, and this is partly because of the scarcity of oboe players. Absolutely. There's uh, there's not a lot. Even if I ask some of my oboe colleagues around the country, no one has a vast number of students. It's always a bit of a rough and tumble. And uh, I also have some students in Pretoria. And it's always a bit of a an awakening when they realize they're really excited about learning the oboe. But as soon as they realize, okay, this might take a bit more time than I actually thought. Uh, it's a bit of a commitment thing as well. So technically... It's similar to the recorder, right? It's the very similar. fingering is very similar to a recorder. But but emotionally and physically, it's much more difficult. Yes. With the recorder, the, the airflow and the airstream is much more, well, allow me to say, slightly easier because you don't have the restriction uh, that the double reed gives you, similar to a bassoon. And uh, similarly, we have a shortage of bassoon players around the country too. So there's something about double reeds. It's probably the difficulty of of getting a good sound easily. People want quick results these days. That's yes. the problem. So the clarinet is easier to get a good sound quicker. The saxophone is easier to get a good sound quicker. But double reeds take time, but the reward is worth waiting for. I believe so. The other One other factor that I've always thought is maybe slightly hampering uh, the pro- uh, producing more able-bodied oboists and bassoonists is the fact that the instruments are extremely expensive and the reeds are hard to come by and take some time to learn making them. Well, here comes uh, a quintet now. It's piano with four winds. It's by Beethoven. The first movement of his piano quintet, Stephen Huff with the Berlin Philharmonic winds. That was the first movement of the piano quintet by Beethoven. Stephen Huff was the pianist and he was joined by wind players from the Berlin Philharmonic. I fortunately had the absolute pleasure and privilege of performing the Beethoven Piano Quintet in its entirety, as well as the Mozart Piano Quintet in its entirety with Ben Skuman last year in Pretoria. Uh, of course, Ben Skuman needs very little introduction to South African audiences. Yeah, he's been on this program. Too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it, was, uh, it was one of the most striking concerts uh, that I've given, uh, that I've participated and given in my life, because the hall was sold out, and this is something that we don't experience very often with chamber music. So it was a, a wonderful experience to have such a large audience of uh, arguably 420, 430 people, and uh, hanging on, hanging on to dear life, following following yeah. the quintet and and with Ben, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. I also think that the oboe um, has a. It's almost like singers. Each oboe player has their own sound quality, whereas very often a trumpet sounds like a trumpet sounds like a trumpet. I think the oboe differs in sound between players. It's quite interesting. It does differ between players. There's different schools of oboe methodology and teaching. Predominantly, if you have to group them into two big schools, it would be uh, the American players and the rest. Um, <laughs> the American players uh, f- have a different kind of reed style of how they scrape their reeds. It's much more vibrant. It has a, a different kind of tonal quality to it, whereas the European school 
which is where most South African players, I would argue, uh, learn from, has a very, very different sound again from the Americans. The Americans have a more open brasher sound. It is an, uh, more yeah. open, more brasher sound. Yeah. And it's it's literally boils down to the fact that the reeds are scraped all the way to the back. The reed is literally vibrating that much more. So, listeners, you can hear this reed takes on a whole <laughs> life of its own. And I have to tell you that uh, when I was with the National Symphony Orchestra, winter was a bad time up here on the high felt for oboe players because of the dryness. Uh, they really used to struggle with their reeds, so it became a sort of battle of wills in winter. I do, you, do you still suffer with that? I completely understand. I'm very grateful for someone who's based in Pretoria because there's few places in the country that I can go to that is, for oboists, that much more challenging to perform in. And Pretoria is still quite high above sea level. The altitude is also a major, a major factor in reeds and in oboe tone and production. And uh, now when you go to the coast, you drop in, you drop in altitude, it's usually much more humid. It, it's almost as if it's slightly easier. But I'm, you know, get, being used to performing in Gauteng makes, it makes a big difference. <laughs> Very few things is, that ch- is as challenging after yeah. that. And the other thing which um, people don't generally know is that actually the difficulty for oboe players or another difficulty for oboe players is getting rid of all the air that you've got in your lungs because the mouthpiece is so small and the little staple or the pipe that takes the mus- the uh, wind into the oboe is so small that you can't get rid of enough air. Yes, that is that is always a, a challenge. There's some beautiful oboe lines, uh, Brahms violin concerto, for example, and it's always a it's a fine art to decide where you breathe in and how much you breathe in to make sure that you can breathe enough out so that you can eventually also uh, make sure to not break the phrase, break the line. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an admin exercise, effectively yeah, yeah, at yeah. the end of the day. Now we're going to play something without oboe. Well, not without oboe, but not principally about oboe. It's a vocal piece by Richard Strauss called "Beim Schlafen Gehen," one of the four last songs. Just fantastically beautiful songs with great orchestrations. Anna Netrebko is the singer and the Philharmonia Orchestra, conducted by Herbert von Karajan. Such a beautiful piece, that one of the four last songs. Do you, do you listen to a lot of music? I do listen to a lot of music. I, uh, I always feel like it's a, almost a nonsensical thing to ask a musician, do you like listening to music? But I do like listening to music, and I listen to a, a rather very varied uh, different kind of artists, composers, and uh, I'm very fond of some of the pieces that I'm very fond of, like the Beethoven Piano Concerti or Brahms symphonies. I have several recordings of, and I enjoy comparing styles and tempi and articulation and whatever the conductor was feeling like at the moment. It's always very interesting for me to keep track of that. My guest in People of Note is Johan Ferreira, who is an oboist and an academic, and we're going to come on to the academics a bit later. One of the things you said earlier was that you actually do play uh, quite a lot of oboe around the place, uh, Durban, uh, Johannesburg, Pretoria. Do you go elsewhere? Do you go down to the coast much other than Durban? Uh, I've been invited uh, previously earlier last year to play at the Cape Town Concert Series, which I was very grateful for. That was a a great experience as well. Was that with Ben also? No, No. actually. That was uh, as part of the previous year I attended the 
Dakota Institute, uh, which is an affiliate ensemble of Carnegie Hall. Incidentally, James Austin Smith is one of the members of Dakota, where they had a short uh, course for musicians in the country, which I attended. And then Louise Howlett of the Cape Town Concert Series invited me for a performance back in Cape Town at the start of last year. I also occasionally play for the Eastern Cape Philharmonic whenever they need another herbalist. Uh, so I, I do go to Port Elizabeth quite often. And I've also made some appearances in Bloemfontein as well. I have a, a chamber concert coming up in September with Annika Lamont and some other musicians in Bloemfontein playing um, some piano sextets, actually. And you play in a, a wind ensemble yourself. Yes, we yes. play in a in a quintet. Is that a, is that a regular thing? Yes, uh, well, as regular as as is not com- not hundred percent permanent, but as regular is adjacent to that. We do quite a lot of quintet work. We do a lot of arrangements. Uh, we actually did last year an arrangement, heaven forbid, of Rhapsody in Blue for five wind players, which was very popular amongst audiences. And we also it's it's a lot of fun to play. We also play a lot of other more stock standard quintet repertoire that we might not always know as well, including the Klugart Quintet, which is something that I'm also very fond of. And that's coming up now. But just let's expand on this a little, because wind quintets are, are quite popular. Quite a lot of composers have written for wind quintet. Yes. I suppose it was good for, you know, amateur musicians who could get together and play. Yes, it's a, it's a very accessible uh, let me say art form for wind players because it's it's not unheard of it's not impossible to uh, gather a quintet within a short space of time there's a lot of repertoire for them and there's not a lot of repertoire for quintet that is extremely taxing um, there are some the Ligeti wrote the 12 bagatelles which is very very challenging and the Nielsen quintet is also very very popular and uh, there's some other stuff. Tanzi and Reicha also wrote some works for Quintet. So there's quite a lot of repertoire that's, in my opinion, quite untapped in the South African chamber sphere. Well, here comes Klughart's Wind Quintet. It's the fourth movement played by a group called Quintet Aquilon. There we are, a very particular sound. That was a wind quintet by Klughart, uh, played by a group called Quintet Aquilon. It's not a name... I know, I have to say, Klughart. August Klughart was uh, an Austrian composer, and he only died in 1902, which was, I guess, in a sense, comparatively late compared to his contemporaries of arguably Schumann and the likes. And Klughart was a very famous symphonist when he was alive, uh, which didn't really stood the test of time afterwards. But there are many of Klugart's chamber works that are still quite widely performed, one of them being the Klugart Schilflieder, which is a trio for oboe, viola, and piano. The Schilflieder is actually a set of five poems written by the very famous poet Nicolas Lenau. And Nicolas Lenau is known for his Faust that he wrote, and also as the originator of the Don Juan story, which was picked up by Strauss and by uh, by many other composers at the time, writing tone poems and so on. So the Klugart Schilflieder was inspired by these five poems, and uh, it's actually one of the pieces I also performed last year. It's a very famous piece amongst oboists. In 2016, I attended the International Double Reed Society Conference, which was in the USA, and um, the the Schilflieder makes an appearance at every, let's say, second uh 
the Double Reed Society Convention. It's a very famous work amongst oboists, and it's 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 a it's quite a challenging and a very very beautiful work. It's also an unusual combination: oboe, viola, and piano. You'd think that, but there's actually a rather a large number of works for oboe, viola, and piano. Robert Kahn wrote a serenade. Cowder himself, Hugo Cowder, who was a Korngold contemporary, actually, also wrote a very very a particularly pleasant trio for oboe, viola, and piano. And there's quite a number of works actually in this genre as well. Well, and this one is played by the Kauder Trio, so they obviously play other works by Kauder. That's true. Yeah. This is the Schulflieder Trio, and this is the fifth movement. It's for oboe, viola, and piano, and it's by August Klughardt. That was number five from the Schulflieder Trio by, or the movement number five from the Schulflieder Trio by August Klughardt played by the Cowder Trio. The choice of Johann Ferreira, who's my guest in People of Note. He's an oboist and an academic. And after the break, we're going to hear about his academic life. Well, apart from the oboe, that is, because oboes can be quite academic as well. But we will hear about that. So you play quite a lot of chamber music. I do play a lot, a lot of, of fun. Actually. I I prefer in many aspects. I prefer playing chamber music. I prefer the slightly more intimate dialogue and interaction between colleagues. Uh, although I'm of course very fond of orchestral playing and solo playing, but there's a different kind of dynamic in in chamber settings, and um, it's it's a, there's such a wealth of of chamber works that's still unexplored by myself, by my colleagues, and uh, unheard by audiences. Now I was going to say for audiences, yeah, which is definitely making it really worthwhile to tap into that genre more. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. Johan Ferreira is my guest. It's just about seven o'clock, and we're going to take a short break. That was the third movement of the Concerto for Double String Orchestra by Michael Tippett, the British composer. William Boughton was conducting the English String Orchestra, and it's the choice of Johann Ferreira, my guest in People of Note. This is a piece not often heard, so I'm quite interested to see that you chose it. I uh, also, during my um, travels in the United States in 2016, I also went to Toronto. Um, I was working at the University of Toronto for a few weeks, and at the time, it was the Toronto Summer Music Festival. And it was at the Glenn Gould School of Music, which is, of course, a very famous uh, place of learning. And there, I, I do have to say, my memory fails me regarding who was the orchestra. But there they played this double concerto, concerto for double string orchestra. And I just immediately fell in love with it. It's this, it's, I found it a very refreshing version of what's known or arguably uh, historically English music and only then I really actually found out and read up and acquainted myself with Michael Tippett as the composer who was also at the time an extremely famous English composer and he was one of Britain's biggest contemporaries and me being an oboist there's a lot of work that Britain has written for the oboe and uh, so I knew Britain very well and then it was a very much a welcome change to also learn of someone and get to know someone like Tippett who's very much in the in the era of Britain, although not always as much the style. And actually, I'm surprised to see you haven't put down any of the metamorphoses for the uh, after Ovid, I think, the, the Britain pieces. I like those pieces, actually. They're really nice. Do you play them? They're, they are very popular amongst oboists. There are yeah. six of them. Yeah. It's also written based on Greek mythology. Yeah. And uh, oh, they're very popular they're, amongst oboists. I like those. They're beautiful pieces. So do you have a favorite repertoire? 
I mean, what what do you like? I mean, you said wind uh, chamber music, but do you have uh, favorites amongst composers? I undoubtedly have a favorite amongst composers. On my personal Facebook profile, for many years now, I've attested that my both my political and religious views is Brahms. Yeah, uh, I absolutely adore almost everything that Brahms has ever written, mostly inspired by the big oboe solo in the violin concerto. But I've always had an extreme obscene almost liking to the symphonies. Yeah. All four of them. And it's always a bit of a struggle to me because I like to believe that in a George Orwellian sense that all symphonies are equal, but at least one of them was more equal than the others. Um, sometimes I struggle to decide which one that is, but mostly I decide on the second symphony. Well, we're going to hear some Brahms now. This is one of two songs. This one is called Gestilter Sehnsucht. Uh, Luca Zenzo plays the viola and Maurizio Pacchiarello the piano. That was the singer Sarah Mingardo, and she was joined by Luca Senzo and Maurizio Pacchiarello on piano. Well, Luca Senzo on viola. Here we go, viola again. You see, people like this viola sound. Brahms particularly, I think, was attracted by those, those darker sounds like clarinet and viola, the lower instruments. I think he liked them. I think so too, although to oboist's detriment everywhere, he never wrote a single note for the English horn, which is... Uh, would be the equivalent. Which would be yeah. the, the woodwind equivalent of a viola. But I have a friend um, who's actually the principal English hornist of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, um, and he arranged some of the Brahms mezzo-soprano songs for English horn and piano, and he's graciously shared that with me in the past, and I've, I've performed some of them before too. What I like to believe, or I like to tell myself, great critical acclaim. <laughs> now, you mentioned just now that you were studying for your master's, and I take it this is not in uh, mathematical statistics. Actually, no. I'm currently busy with my master's in performance at the University of the Witwatersrand. And uh, part of what my research writing or my uh, research report is about is looking at ways of how text influences composition, especially when the text is not being sung or shared with the audience and how, in my, in my specific case, the oboe is used as a, as a way of translating the text via notes to the audience. Which, of course, is, is more difficult because the text often uh, explains why the music is doing what it does. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. It was actually uh, the Klughard Schilf leader that we listened to earlier was one of the was an impetus for me to be interested in, in looking at this of how Lenau's text is translated only by Klughard without the audience really knowing what the text is about. Let's just talk about your other academic interest though, which is mathematical statistics. Mm. Uh, because almost everyone that I have spoken to who's done stats at university has, not everyone, but a lot have <laughs> failed first time <laughs> and then have to redo it. Um, I know that maths and music are connected also. I think they're very closely connected. First of all, they are both uh, sort of universally understood languages. I agree. Which is uh, an important part of it. But also there are many ways to solve problems in maths and in music we have to find different ways to solve problems too so it's a sort of mindset i think i think so too i've always thought 
I've heard many of, I've heard often uh, people saying, oh, but music and math is, oh, they're very close together, but, you know, maybe I'm biased considering my history with maths and music. Uh, I do think they are one and the same thing because mathematics fundamentally boils down absolutely to counting. And music does as well. So it's about, in the end, it's about counting. I've heard many, I've heard of many mathematicians who are good musicians. And then for some reason, sometimes I encounter some musicians who are deathly afraid of mathematics. And I'm always slightly surprised because I find that, well, I, I, I struggle to believe that because if you, if you are, I think you should at least be able to count very well, which makes you a good mathematician uh, by, uh, by default. Well, let's have some Beethoven now. This is from his second piano concerto. That was music by Beethoven, part of his second piano concerto, the slow movement, in fact, played by Marta Argerich with the London Sinfonietta. And I was very interested just hearing Beethoven now. Um, the other day I was uh, doing a concert and a young guy of 12 came up to me um, and he said, are you Richard Cock? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, I want to know why you don't play Beethoven during the day on Classic 1027. And I thought, wow, this is an interesting question from a 12-year-old. So I said, well, when do you listen? He said, I listen in break time, which amazed <laughs> me even more. That's wonderful. So he's at school, and, he, and in his break time, he's listening to the radio, and he's listening to, obviously, quite carefully to what we play. And, and it struck me again, you know, that uh, people who are involved in music, young people involved in music, really do have a head start on others particularly when you start quite young, say six or seven, you learn an instrument, you've got to learn about all sorts of things, counting particularly, as we just discussed, fine motor coordination, coordination between eye and brain and hand, or, you know, whatever you're playing, you need a lot of coordination. And I'm sure this is good for everything in life. I, I agree with that. And not only... Not only, I think the, the the motor skill coordination is actually something that should not be looked over uh, as quickly as I think it is being done. It's actually incredibly important of of translating what your brain is doing to what your fingers are doing, but not not looking at your fingers. Whether you're a pianist, a violinist, uh, keeping the bow between the fingerboard and the bridge. I mean, it, it's a it's it's an important part of being a good violinist. Uh, keeping your fingers in in good posture, good finger posture on the oboe or the bassoon or, or the, the clarinet yeah. or the, the piano. Um, that it's a crucial part of 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 good. Uh, good development but not only that I find that being a musician teaches you a lot of uh, confidence and also time management and prioritization of your daily life whether it's in music or not um, you know sometimes uh, many mornings I get up before I go to work I, I try to get about 40 minutes of oboe practice in long notes and scales so that means that that means practicing oboe at 630 in the it's morning it's a discipline which is an absolute discipline, and it's something that is, that I think is, you know, it dissipates into various factors and facades of your life, which is uh, much more valuable than one might think. Yeah, I think it's a, being involved in music is a whole way of life. Actually. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and and it needs discipline, and it needs all sorts of things which are good for you. So, dear listeners, if you have children or grandchildren, encourage them to learn an instrument. It's got really not so much to do with whether they're ever going to be a musician. 
It's got to do with teaching many other things that are good for life in general. So listen to our advice here on <laughs> Classic 1027. You're not just listening to music. You're listening to advice about life, which is wonderful. My guest tonight is Johan Ferreira, who's an oboist and an academic. You haven't actually told us much about your, your the other side of your life, though. And let's uh, listen to some music now by Stravinsky, and then we'll talk about that. Music by Stravinsky. That was the fourth movement of his violin concerto called Capriccio. Sir Neville Mariner conducting Hilary Hahn, who was the violinist and the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. We were talking about maths and music. Just tell us about your academic life. You lecture at Pretoria University. That's correct. I, after school, I opted not to study music uh, primarily, but I started with a BSc, and after that I did my honours degree, and then I did my master's degree. In math stats? In mathematical statistics, yeah. yes. And I ended up finishing my PhD in mathematical statistics. I graduated last year, actually. And um, then as I, as time went by and I uh, was uh, studying, I eventually uh, took up a job at University of Pretoria as well in the Department of Statistics, uh, where I'm still currently uh, lecturing and I'm doing some postgraduate supervision and I'm teaching some courses for the third-year students in stats and uh, keeping busy there as well. Isn't there another musician who's uh, Peter... Is it Peter Grobler? Uh, Peter Jacobs. Peter Jacobs. He's yes. also... He's uh, an engineer, actually. An engineer, but yeah. he's a fine pianist also. He's a, he's a really fine pianist. Yeah, actually, I think if I remember correctly, Peter finished his PhD in engineering, and uh, after that he also finished a PhD in piano performance at Yale, actually in the States. And he's uh, affiliated with University of Pretoria as well. So Peter Jacobs is also a very, very fine pianist and a, undoubtedly a good engineer as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an interesting combination of things that people can cope with, sort of like a double career, actually, which you are doing. Yes, which I am doing, and it it comes with a significant amount of sacrifices. Uh, it's long hours in the end. It you sacrifice a lot of weekends um, that people uh, would otherwise have could have enjoyed or uh, you know, spent some time with loved ones. But it's but you still enjoy it. But I still enjoy it, and I I I I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't uh, exchange it for anything else. Yeah. I, I love the thrill of having too much to do. Well, not necessarily having too much to do, but organizing your life so that you can do everything. Yes, it's a, it's a bit of a sacrifice, and, um, but it's always worth it. But it's really worth it. Yes. I know, I mean, I, you know, people say to me, when do you go home? Because they hear me, you know, every night on, on Classic 1027 and on the weekends. Uh, but actually, the, many of these programs are pre-recorded like this one. On a, on a Sunday evening so that I can actually spend some time at home. <laughs> uh, I see your next choice is another wind quintet, this time by Nielsen, and uh, this features the Berlin Philharmonic Quintet. Such a nice sound. It's a pleasant sound. Uh, there's, there's few things as charming. Uh, I like to use the word charming to describe a lot of the nice harmonies and melodies in a, in a quintet setting. It's a charming combination of, of timbres and sound between the bassoon and the French horn, for example, and between the flute and the oboe. And very distinctive sounds. It's always distinctive, yeah. and it's wonderful how it then eventually can merge into this amalgamated um, amalgamated sound. It's charming. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, you play for fun also. Because, I mean, you have... You, you don't depend on this for your living, so you don't have to take every job that comes your way. 
so you 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 have a a steady income from your university work, uh, but are you going to go on and you seem like an eternal student? Also, you're going to go on and do your your masters and your doctorate in oboe. I I doubt it. I enrolled for my masters uh, in in order to facilitate a a form of professional development for myself. I felt that it was it would have been valuable for me to undertake it at the time, which I'm still very grateful for. I hope to finish at some point during this year. And um but I do like studying. I've always enjoyed studying and my next next on my horizon is I've been thinking about possibly writing grade 8 theory next year. But that's a that, that is a completely different ball game. That is a that's quite a challenging exam. So I'll see I'll see if life leads me to that. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will, because it's all about maths in the end. Anyway. It's all about maths. All if you can count, maths. you can do theory. There you go. <laughs> now, here was someone who didn't flinch from work. That's our friend Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Boy, he turned out a lot of stuff in his lifetime. Can you imagine what his life must have been like? Writing music, performing, uh, trying to keep his life together, <laughs> traveling to Prague, traveling all over Europe. I mean, what an incredible life he had. And, and no formal schooling. Yes. Yeah. No, Mozart was, was quite the character. Yeah. Um, anyone who's seen Amadeus would arguably agree. This is from The Magic Flute, but it's an arrangement for piano duo. That was a piano duet version of the famous duet from The Magic Flute, Papagena, Papageno, by Mozart. The choice of Johann Ferreira, my guest in People of Note, who, as you've heard, is not only an oboist, but also a mathematical statistician which sounds quite a mouthful, uh, and I'm sure is. Uh, but we're coming up towards the end of the program. Now, obviously, your, your big love in life is maths. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done all the stuff that you've done with mathematical statistics, but also the oboe. And I guess both of them give you equal pleasure. I'd like to think to a large extent the oboe gives me more pleasure. There's, it's a different kind of interaction that you have not only with yourself, but this close-knit magic that happens on stage is not something that happens in many other, dare I say, eight to five jobs. And that is something that you get addicted to. And isn't that, I think that's actually the nub of what keeps us all going in music, because players love to play and perform. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's why we do what we do, yeah. other than the fact that we also would like someone to hear what we do. So it's all about it's all about having an audience. It's all about creating and sharing that magic on stage with other people not on stage, and which is why we're so fond of audiences. Oh, and also why those moments when you're performing, where everything is going well and it makes you go goosey, oh. are so special. Oh, it's a it's a thrilling moment. Yeah. Um, I uh, played the Bach double concerto with Santa Hofmey recently, and there were just some moments in that in that beautiful second movement that is just it's just mesmerizing in performance mm. for me as the performer. And it's a sort of glimpse of heaven. I, I do mm. think so. I do agree. Well, here comes an oboe concerto now. This is the first movement of the Martinu oboe concerto. Maris Janssens is conducting the Bayerischen Rundfunks with Stefan Schilly. It's appropriate that we ended this program with a movement from an oboe concerto by Martinu. That was Stefan Schilly playing with the Bayerischen Rundfunks Orchestra under Maris Janssens, because my guest in People of Note, Johann Ferreira, is in fact an oboist, although he has another life as an academic with mathematical statistics. 
So it just remains for me to say thank you for coming on the program. Oh, Richard, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much it for is, having it's me. It's always a pleasure to chat to people who love what they're doing. And you obviously love very much what you're doing. So thank you for being on the program. And thank you at home for listening. And until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good evening.